This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along. Fresh from the Reds, run out in Salzburg. We'll be picking through the pre-season clues Klopp boys have left ahead of the new campaign. Plus, we'll preview what's to come this weekend in the Community Shield. And before we go, we've some FPL chat to get into as well. And we want you to get involved. All that to come alongside me, our tactical guru, Josh Williams. Josh, how are we keeping? Doing okay, mate, yeah. Uh, enjoying pre-season. Caught my first game last night. So that was nice to see. And uh, you yourself are now making two starts in a row, mate. How's it feel? Yeah, I am. And probably best we, I, I suppose we breach that uh, very subject. Yeah, I've, I've become somewhat of a first team regular from the, <laughs> the, the occasional substitutional appearance, as you say, popping up more as a regular now on Analyzing Anfield. And, and that being due to Dave, who's got himself a new role within our company. He's working on a number of the national titles and he is still part of the Analyzing Anfield furniture, isn't he, Josh? But he's he's going to be appearing a little less frequently than in the past. Yeah, well, I think um, it, the best way I can probably put it in the Liverpool context is Dave is Firmino and Guy is probably Jota. And it's probably going to happen in a way that happened last season at Anfield in terms of Firmino coming out the side a little bit and Jota coming in the side a little bit. So uh, Dave will still be appearing, we are told, um, once a month. Uh, so one in every four episodes will feature Dave. And the other three, I think, as it stands, mate, should be yourself. Yeah, likely. Maybe I'll even become the Darwin Nunez by the end of the season. We'll have to <laughs> we'll have to wait and see the big money summer signing. No, I'm I'm far I'm far from that. But as you say, yeah, Dave very much still part of the furniture on analysing Anfield, but due to other commitments, it is likely to be once a month. We're we're aiming at the start of each month as well to give you guys listening clarity. So the first episode of each month should be the uh, the traditional front two rather than front three. <laughs> Uh, of Dave and Josh, but the rest of the time I will be here alongside Josh. But Josh, let's get into things then. As you say, enjoying pre-season and caught your first glimpse of what the Reds have been up to in pre-season in the run-out against Salzburg. A, what did you make of it? And B, how much do you read into pre-season? Um, yeah, I thought it was very much, very cliche this, but I thought it was very much a game of two halves. I thought first half, Liverpool were a bit messy, um, lost the ball a bit too much in bad areas. The counter-press wasn't especially there. And when that's the case against a team like Red Bull Salzburg, especially, who are, you know, they've had it ingrained into them for years now, those players to, 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 to penetrate immediately, play the first pass forwards, and they will cut you open. And I think in the first half, that happened a few times. They ended up scoring a goal from it. But then in the second half, Liverpool were a lot better, a lot more cohesive, the council press was there, attacks were sustained, and the majority of the game was played in the in the, the opposition half, really. Um club balls on a few of the big guns. So yeah, it was it was one of them. I think pre-season wise, although the result wasn't what we wanted, I think second half in particular, Liverpool Liverpool looked really, really up for it. Um playing at a high tempo. Um looked like they were at a good level for pre-season, so it looked and Klopp himself, even towards the end of the game, was was getting really fired up, and Liverpool were begging for penalties, and you you would have thought it was a knockout game watching it, but it wasn't. It was a pre-season game. So, what I got from it was that Liverpool, despite losing, 
we're more than ready for, for the Premier League now, which is good to see. And in terms of how much I look into pre-season, I do think you can you can get bits from it. You can get little tactical shifts, what players seem to be working on, how players are going to impact the team. It was nice to see Nunes in a red shirt for the first time. Well, a Liverpool shirt, that is. You know, I'm, I know Benfica wear red as well. So, yeah, it's it's nice to tune into pre-season every now and then. As I said last week, I, I do usually watch all the games, but because of different time zones and things, this is the first match that I've caught. Yeah, it does look like the Reds, physically, as you say, are getting to where they need to be. For me, I think the main take-home for me was, I actually think the midfield, I know it's it's been a hot topic through the course of the summer, but for me, the, the big take-home was the, the, the difference in depth in the midfield. I mean, looking in the, the wide areas, maybe they are forwards, maybe they are. It was very much first-half midfielders playing out wide in Carvalho and Elliot. Second half, of course, Diaz and Salah came on, and I think there was a real difference in maybe the quality Liverpool have on offer in those positions, albeit Diogo Jota is injured right now, but equally his, his best football last season certainly came through the middle of the pitch. And on top of that, then, kind of that, that midfield engine room, was it Jones, Morton and Bajetic, who I think has been absolutely brilliant, but at 17, he, he's hardly going to be a first-team regular to come this season. Second half, of course, it stepped up with Fabinho with Thiago and with Henderson, kind of that tried and trusted midfield. In fact, sorry, Naby Keita played in the first half, didn't he, in the game um, in that position, not Tyler Morton. But it, it's it's one of those, isn't it, where you do look at kind of the, the midfield, the makeup of it. And whilst there are a lot of options, the, the range in quality, and unless I'm being unfair, Josh, I, I think there is quite a difference across kind of the breadth of it rather than maybe there has been in, in other seasons. Yeah, I, I think going into the season, Liverpool have got I've got real depth across the board. Really, considerably more so than Manchester City. Usually, when that's the case, you can go for the domestic cups a bit more than usual. Um, but even even you know you just mentioned there about Harvey Elliott and, and Fabio Carvalho. Those those two players were both deployed as forwards on the day against Salzburg. Even though you could probably argue that throughout the season they're probably more likely to play in the middle. As I mean. Potentially a number ten, but usually as number eight, I'd say. Um, and one issue with playing those two as wide forwards on the night, because they don't maybe possess the same same degree of speed as the likes of Salah, Mane, Diaz, Jota. They are a bit more inclined to come to the ball, and on the back of that, um, it kind of resulted in everybody but Nunes coming to the ball. That resulted in a little bit of a disconnect. Klopp touched on it after the game. Um, one of his quotes that I've got up here, Darwin was much too often alone. Everybody dropped, everybody was involved in the build-up, but we could only pass the do- the ball to, to Darwin in the box. Uh, he had his moments and nearly scored, but he needs much more support around him. And that was that's generally some of the issues that you can encounter in pre-season. If you haven't got your, your first 11 on, on the pitch all the time, you've just got players on the pitch who need to get minutes, basically. So the balance isn't always there, and I think um, th- th- those little those little moments, those little halves, they, they can ha- harm the confidence of players a little bit. Like Nunes, if he, if he does start to think that he's he's not going to be supported, and he's going to be playing like this all the time, and he doesn't speak the language, sometimes you just want to put your arm around him and say, "Listen, it's not going to be, it's not going to always be like this." You know, you you've just played a half day with Carvalho and Elliot as your support act rather than. Salah and Diaz, totally different dynamic entirely. So I'm not exactly sure actually why why Klopp 
opted to field Nunes in the first half rather than the second. But you know, those those are questions that you that you've always got in pre season, really just about getting players minutes to get players ready for the for the season. Yeah, it, it did kind of seem B side A side, didn't it? In terms of Liverpool and, yeah. and the sides that were put out, and as you say, their clock on on Nunes. He was he was asked in the press conference after the game what impact he's he's felt his, his summer signings have had so far at Liverpool. Turned around very flippantly and said, "I couldn't care less. It's not about that time." But kind of on what on what you say there, I was speaking with. Paul Gorst off the back of the game yesterday on on kind of a debrief show, and he was saying he would have liked to have seen Nunez play with the likes of Salah, with Luis Diaz as well, within kind of that attacking forward line. I suppose we know with Roberto Firmino how fine-tuned into the system he is with all of that, and yet with Darwin, maybe if there's any time, pre-season is the time to throw him into that, to start getting him used to it, rather than when the season's underway. And, and as we saw last season, every match quite literally does count. Yeah, well, if you look at the team that that club started the match with, it, it is pretty much a team of second strings. Like if, if you look at the whole eleven, maybe Kanate and maybe Keita, you could put a case forward as they are potential starters. But when Liverpool have their best team, everybody fit. I don't think they are. Um, Kanate is maybe going into that, but I think st- it'll still probably be massive from the start of the season. So considering all that, it, it was a little, not surprising, but it's a little bit of a question mark there as to why Nunes, a, a potential £100 million player kind of thing, is, is is starting on the bench there. So what that suggests to me is that maybe Klopp is going to take his time with this player. Maybe not so much to the extent where Fabinho was literally on scene up until Christmas last time. But maybe it's not going to be a case of he's going to be thrown right in there like Diaz was. And maybe Klopp thinks he's going to be a little, a little bit of work around that in terms of his defensive game, where and when to press, how the team behave with him in possession, just to ensure that when the games come that matter, that disconnect isn't there. Um, and Klopp's not trying to get instructions onto Nunes mid-game, where Nunes isn't really fully understanding what he's after or whatever. So, all, all, all things considered, looking at the the lineups picked there, it does suggest that maybe Nunes is going to have a bit more of a slower integration, but as I said, that's just an early take. That 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 could be nonsense, really. Yeah, but how big is that central role within the 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 front three that Liverpool have? I suppose integrating one of the wide players and throwing them straight in from the off. I mean, even Diogo Jota, for example, started on that left hand side and eventually has moved his way to becoming a centre forward option for Liverpool. And and that maybe once he's actually understood the whole press. I mean, Jurgen Klopp spoke about Luis Diaz saying we were able to throw him in for the second half of last season and effectively instruct him to go out and have fun and enjoy himself. This pre-season and onwards is where he will begin to be be given more defensive responsibility and understand the pressing. But I suppose that central one of the, the front three, especially how it's been played in the past with Roberto Firmino and how deep to link up he does go, that actually that is a real crucial role within not just the attacking formation, but the whole defensive structure too. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, yeah, you have to put into perspective just how much of a dramatic change it is to, to go from your number nine as Firmino to your number nine as a player like Nunes. It's it's polar opposites, really. And we did touch on this when, when Nunes was signed, when me and Dave went through, you know, analysing his game and things like that. One of the things we said wasn't just in terms of basic, the most basic stats ever, like, Passes per 90. You know, Nunes is just a bit more of a 
passing you when it comes to possession. Um, you know, Liverpool have, have throughout Klopp's Klopp reign really have, have operated with a full eleven of players who who get on the ball and who, and who contribute to build up. And um, even the likes of Jota, who you could argue is a bit of a poacher and things, still gets on the ball a fair bit, and he's he's still more in the mould of like a a forward than than a striker for me. Nunes just based on early signs and uh, what I've seen in the Salzburg game, it just looked like he's gonna maybe stay away from the ball a little bit, and that's that's not really that much of an issue. That can be an intention sometimes. Like I remember a few years back when Rogers first took charge of Leicester. Um, one of the things Rogers said to Vardy was, "Stay away from the ball. You know, don't don't come and and start receiving for possession in number ten spaces, which he was getting told to do apparently by uh, Claude Puel. I think it was. What Rogers wanted Vardy to do was to stay away from the ball, constantly play on the shoulder of defenders, and as a result of doing that, because he's quick, you take defenders with you when you do those little threatening runs in behind." And what that does is generate space in the midfield areas, number 10 spaces for other players to use then. And I think if you look at Nunes' skill set, I think he's technically good, but he's, he, I don't think he's anywhere near as technically flawless as Firmino. So considering that, you maybe do want to keep him away from the build-up when you, when you can help that. And uh, if you do keep instructing to stay away from the ball, stretch defences, play on the last line, Um it just changes the whole dynamic as to how Liverpool have operated for the past few years. So that's why I think I'm starting to think maybe Nunes will be slowly integrated. But because um, it is quite a, a drastic change that Liverpool are undergoing. Equally on top of all of that, I suppose you feed into that the natural instinct he does have. And when he is going to play the glimpses you'll see before, maybe he is fully kind of acclimatised to the Liverpool system. And I know one of your kind of favourite metrics of looking at with forward players is the shots per 90 that they get off. And last season, looking at it in the Portuguese league, Darwin Nunez, I think I'm right in saying, got 3.87 shots per 90, two shots on target per 90 as well, where you look at Roberto Firmino and he was he was 2.73 shots per game and averaged one shot on target per match through the course of the season. And I suppose we even saw that even in the half that he played, the difference in how he created the chance where he spun and got a shot that hit the bar off all by himself and kind of took the, the Salzburg defence by surprise and equally the chance Cater laid off for him, which was in the end brilliantly blocked by the defender. But again, immediately, as soon as he sees the goal, he tries and gets shots off. Exactly, that's that's the kind of player that he is. And if I if I was kind of coaching him, if you like, what what I would be trying to create, and what I would be, you know, in his ear saying, is just finish the move for us. Just finish the move. That's all you have to do, really. When it comes to constructing moves for others, creating chances for others, um, dropping into number ten spaces, things like that. Don't really think it's his game based on what I've seen early. Um, and I think the players ultimately decide the system. The system has to be for the players. And I think if you were to put Nunes in that false nine role that, that Firmino's operated in for a few years, I'm not sure he'd he'd execute the role as well as Firmino has, even as well as Mane did. Um so I think you have to change a little bit for Nunes. But I think yeah, I think he's worth I think he's worth changing for. Um if you look at as you said there, just his ability to 
to hit the target, basically. You know, he, he hits the target an awful lot. I sent a newsletter out on this uh, a few few weeks ago, a few months ago, maybe, um, on his his tendency to to hit the targets, and it's it's right up there. And we touched on his conversion rate as well a few months ago. I think he he posted the best conversion rate across Europe's top six leagues, um, based on players who took at least fifty shots or more. So. Everything suggests that when it comes to putting the ball in the net, he's very good at doing that. Um, and based on what I've seen early, I would be trying to make it so that's kind of that's all he's doing almost. Not in a in a negative way, I don't like that. He can still obviously stretch defenses and you know pull out wide when he wants to and things like that. I know that's part of his game, but when it comes to really just being Liverpool's finisher of moves, I think he'd benefit from being that. Um, just trying to get up, yeah. So just, just in terms of hitting the target, what I mentioned before. So he posted eighty-five shots in the Portuguese top flight last season and hit the target with forty-four of them. Yep. So that means he's got a shots on target percentage of fifty-one point eight percent. Um, for context, Salah, Diaz, Mane, and Jota all hit the target about thirty-six to thirty-eight percent. Uh, Nunes close to fifty two percent, and across Europe top five leagues, only a few players took more than fifty shots and found the target with more than fifty percent of them. Neymar, uh, Martin Terrier, Musa Diaby, Memphis Depay, Francesco Caputo, Vinicius Junior, Wissim Ben Yedder, Juan Mi, and Son Hyung Min. That was it. Um, now they're not mixed bag of players there, obviously, but in terms of it being one of Nunez's traits, it's it's certainly clear that that's one of the things he's good at finding the target from even from difficult angles and things. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, no, most definitely, and as you say, I suppose kind of underlining and, and highlighting that point was. 26 league goals from four of which were, were penalties so 22 non-penalty goals from 44 shots on target he's literally not only hitting the target with 51.8 percent of the shots overall that he has but he's scoring with half of the shots on target he has as well and I mean as I say he was on for half of the game against Salzburg he had that header as well that was looping but as we said right at the top didn't really get too much service but Definitely does look like a uh, player, as you say, that the attack is very much worth remoulding around him. Let's stay on attackers and talk about Roberto Firmino. Not often we really kind of get involved too much on on this show, talking about transfer rumours and whatnot. But this week, a rumour linking him to Juventus has has come out and stuck around, really, Josh, that Juve are going to try and push to, to take Roberto Firmino from Liverpool. I mean, he's into the final year of his contract. My position and and view on this is surely Liverpool can't afford to let him go, not only for the cohesion that he brings to the squad and it would be another attacker needing replacing in a very short amount of time, but the way in which, as we've said there, the the way he knows the system and actually how that could help embedding in Nunez into the system. Yeah, well, I I would be amazed if, if Liverpool were in any way interested in this deal. I don't think it makes sense to, to take around 20 million um, over keeping Roberto Firmino for the full season, I think you get more 
from him being on the pitch than than the twenty million fee that you would get for selling selling them. Um, one issue that maybe would be there would be, I think a deal. I wouldn't rule out a deal if Firmino was interested in it. I think if 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 Firmino wants that move, if he wants to change like Mane did, or if he wants to be more of a main man, get more minutes, whatever. I don't. I I wouldn't entirely rule it out. Simply because it's it is still twenty million plus for a thirty year old player with one year left on his deal, and if the player wants to go, given the service that he's put through at Liverpool as well, I don't really think Liverpool would stand in his way too much. So do you it's... not think just on that? Do you not think there does come a point though where they actually say, "Look, we're we're not going to stand in your way," but for now, respectfully, it's no because the way in which the squad's built, you're more than happy to agree a pre-contract in January if you want, walk away next summer. I know what you're saying in terms of, I completely agree. I don't think the value that he brings is worth £20 million for Liverpool for this season, but equally, FSG will look at the economics of it. But also, what we talk about a lot on this this show is the squad building element of it and the way in which you put together a team Surely that that gap he would leave would would be too much. I mean, it would it would be less than a month that Liverpool would then need to go and look to to bring in another forward option, and it'd be a tough sell to say to anyone come in and and become a forward player at Liverpool when we've just gone and spent potentially club record money on Darwin Nunez, and maybe if they went for a hybrid player who could play on the right hand side as well, well, you're behind Mohamed Salah there too. Yeah, well, I, I mean, as I said, I, I don't think Liverpool would have much of an interest in this deal whatsoever. I really don't. I, I just think, considering the service, especially the service that he's put in at Anfield and, and, and how fond of Firmino Klopp actually is, I think considering that, I'm just not sure if, if Firmino was to really say, I, I want this move. It's an opportunity for me to experience Serie A. It's an opportunity for me to be a main man. Then I'm not. I'm not sure Liverpool would would fully say no. You aren't leaving. Um, whether that's the right move or not. Um, but I don't know. I mean, if you look at you know Firmino was to the past, I'm not even entirely sure this late if Liverpool would would even replace him. I mean, I'm not sure what the word is from the club on that. If that was to happen, but I mean, you've got Jota to come back. You've got um. Jones, Carvalho, and, and Elliot as kind of like creative forwards who are going to want minutes this season. I'm not. I'm. I'm not entirely certain that Liverpool would try to to replace Firmino this late. Kind of that situation, I, I would just absolutely try and try and keep him and and leave it at that. Really, but as I said, the the, the only issues would materialise if if Firmino was interested in the move. Then I'm not sure where things would go really. Yeah, well, Juventus being the kings of the, the free agent market as well, I, I wouldn't be all too surprised if, if there is concrete interest from them there, if it's not even them sounding out with, with Firmino's agent already at this stage, that maybe they'd be interested in doing something even towards the back end of the season. And as we say, he's into the final 12 months of his contract. If he's not to sign a new deal with Liverpool, perhaps then that opens the door. But I think he'd be a really important player for Liverpool to try and keep around. Before we move on to talking about the Community Shield, Josh, let's touch on 
Red Bull Salzburg because we often speak so much about the Red Bull clubs on this podcast in particular when we're looking at what players Liverpool could potentially look to sign in the future. There was a Scandinavian forward wearing number 30 a few years back who went on to do fairly decent things, I'm told. But Benjamin Sesko, who scored in the game, looked very lively indeed. And Luka Sucic, the midfield player, who was playing for them, has also been linked through the course of, of this summer. Were there any in particular players who, who caught your eye or, or those two? What did you make of them? No, I think it was it was predominantly those two. I must say as well, I think the goalkeeper had a good game. <laughs> but um, 22 years old, Carrius lookalike. So we're uh, considering that, maybe you're best avoiding them. <laughs> but um, yeah, and I'm, I'm not sure where they find these players. I'm really not. Um, just the masters of, of unearthing these gems from, from relatively obscure locations and what I find really one of the major stars leaves, they have the next one right there, just ready to step in. It's 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 crazy. Like, you know, you've had Patson Dache, you've had Erling Haaland, then you've had Kareem Adeyemi, now you've got Benjamin Sesko. It's just one oh, after the other after the other. They had Simic as well, who came on in the second half. At one stage, I was kind of double-taking, going, is yeah. that not the same guy who's on the pitch? But yeah, it is. Yeah, Uncanny. I, think, I think it's interesting that in both Haaland and Sesko, one after the other type thing, really, they're, they're both really similar in terms of profiles and, and, and skill sets. And that's really weird considering how rare Haaland is as a profile. Like, Carl, Haaland is lightning quick, but six foot four. <laughs> and, um, Thrives more than ever on through balls, which is really weird for his size. Really um, ruthless when he's presented with opportunities to score. And he's he's only a kid. And if you look at Sesco, he doesn't look that, that dissimilar, really. He's 19 himself. Um, six foot three, I think I checked earlier. Also looked quick enough to pose a threat in behind, which is pretty necessary if you're going to play for Salzburg. And um, yeah, it's he looked relatively composed, and he 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 took his goal well, I thought. And uh, there was a moment where I mean, I'm sure listeners will be aware of it. He watched the game. And there was a moment where he absolutely sent um, Curtis Jones and James Miller for the echo. It was it was amazing what he did, and whether he meant it or not is another question. But he, it is he one of those, top, isn't it? When you get prospect. a player that big who who probably hasn't quite filled out into his frame physically yet, they they can look kind of bumbly on the ball Awkward, and yeah. not always in control of it but equally you then see how well he took his goal and I thought it was really smart from him actually I think I said before Scandinavian he's actually Slovenian so it's a different part of the continent but he he, he took it really well in terms of the first touch. He, he left Canate and just completely went past him. And then there was Gomez to still try and get around. He was ready to come across on the cover, but the ball seemed to get stuck between his feet. But cleverly, he seemed to bounce it off his strike partner, get it back and, and finished with a plum. It was it was really well taken from him. But as you say, the, the, the bit where he, he did Jones and Milner, not entirely sure if he definitely meant that but equally the technical ability he showed with the finish I'd probably hazard a guess that he knew exactly what he was doing yeah it's it, it's just a skill shift for me it, it's the, the profile that he offers you just don't really find very often usually the players who are big strong tall and imposing physically can't run usually and the players who have that and are also quick you just don't find very often like Harlan comes to mind Lukaku comes to mind. 
But I mean, off the top of my head, I can't think of many others really. Um, it's just funny that Salzburg have unearthed two in a row almost. And if you look at where they got Sesco from, you know, I, we're well aware that Red Bull have a really expansive scouting network and they put a lot of money into that and they unearth these gems and that's their way of doing things. But they they bought Sesco in 2019 for about two million from NK Domsdale. I mean, I'll be honest, I've never heard of that club. And for, for them to find him, I'm, not, I'm just not sure how, I'd love to know more than I do about about how they find these players because they have got a serious scouting network going on and they find these these real gems who, who develop into real prospects that are wanted across Europe. And uh, it looks like Sesco's already getting linked with Manchester United, but he's, uh, he's contacted until 2026, so I can't see him move anytime soon. No, we'll have to wait and see what does happen on that front. Now let's get into the Community Shield, though. The first meeting between Liverpool and Manchester City for this campaign. And I always find Man City, Josh, a difficult side to gauge heading into a new season because where most managers talk about pre-season is all about minutes in the legs and get the games into them, make sure they've got the minutes. Pep Guardiola seems to take a very different approach. He, he basically likes to just get on the training pitch even as as much as he can because he knows through the course of the season the amount of competitions that Man City will be in that time on the training ground will become precious as the campaign goes on and he really sets them up tactically for the start of the season during the pre-season phase where as I say we don't see an all too much of them and then obviously they grow into the campaign as it begins. Yeah well I actually checked the other day um, City's pre-season you know how they were getting on who they were really with fielding and things like that. And when when I saw that they, they only have two fixtures for the whole of pre-season, two friendlies, I thought it was a mistake at first. I thought it was Google making a mistake. Um, but it does actually seem that City are going to go through the whole of pre-season having played Club America and Bayern Munich, and, and that's it. And then obviously Liverpool and the Charity Shield, which some people would regard as a friendly, some other people wouldn't. Um, so it certainly is a different way of doing things, and off the top of my head, I'm not, I'm not sure how City started the season last year. I'm just going to check now. Um, but can, well, they lost, they lost the first two games last season. Uh, they lost one 0 to Leicester in the Charity Shield, and then they lost one 0 to Spurs, but then yeah. two five 0 wins in a row. <laughs> um, so it is a different way of doing things, and it's. I mean, I would think it was a bit of a risk considering you're going into the Premier League there and it's already been a short pre-season as it is. So there's the prospect there of going into the start of the season, not really fully firing. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how that works out for them. And for most of the teams in the league, actually, I don't think a lot of teams are, are firing yet. Um, but City in particular are doing things really differently there. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I remember going to the, the City... Uh, the Etihad campus last season, actually working for, for Preston North End and doing a bit of commentary for them. And I think that was one of three fixtures that Man City had for pre-season that year. But the side they, they put out 
due to kind of the internationals they'd had away at the Euros was very much kind of a, a reserve side at that even then. But in terms of City and obviously the squad changes that have happened to them, they are, I suppose, an analyst and, and metric stream in terms of a side, the way in which they look to just dominate each metric. But this season, therefore, how intrigued are you to kind of see what they do and how they how they maybe take a different approach to how they go about things? Because obviously losing Jesus and, and Sterling, who predominantly played in, in wide areas, Leroy Sané, of course, left a few years back as well. It seems to be as though Pep Guardiola is beginning to embrace a, a change in terms of attacking from wide and, and going with plenty of central penetration with the, the arrivals of Erling Haaland, of course, and, and Julian Alvarez as well. Well, what's insistent is, and I'm not sure this is, it's crazy how these things work out, but City seems to be going through exactly the same change as Liverpool in terms of the profiles that they've added and the profiles that they've maybe got rid of this summer. Because Haaland is, he is really similar to Nunes in terms of just skill sets, profiles, you know, and what what they offer on the pitch, what they don't offer maybe. Both of them are, are fast, able to threaten in behind, like to play on the shoulder. Of who they're playing against, both are about six foot two, six foot three, um, and both are kind of unlike previous years, passengers really when it comes to to possession. So Guardiola's got a similar dynamic on his hands to Klopp, which is perhaps why he's dedicating so much time on the training ground rather than friendlies, because he's now after 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 establishing a, a strikerless system for a few seasons, where you've basically got a team of midfielders. You're now going from that to using a a fixed striker up top who just doesn't really engage too much in build-up and just wants to focus on putting the ball in the net. And when that's the case, you, you do have to work on things in the training ground. So it's crazy how City and Liverpool have been head-to-head for a number of years but also seem to, to be developing in similar ways. Like f- for a few seasons, they were both strikers, really, in terms of a traditional striker. Both emerge with these really creative fullbacks in in Central Alexander Arnold and Joao Cancelo, so it's it's crazy how Liverpool and City seem to be doing things in conjunction, really. Um, but if you look at how they're gonna how they're gonna operate this season, it, it could be a, a case of almost whichever coach is able to maximise his new striker the best ends up ends up winning the most points almost in a weird way. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Do you think it's kind of just trying to get ahead of the curve of, of maybe beginning to spot analytical trends of, of teams beginning, maybe not just sitting deep, but learning how to try and combat the, the, the width that both sides explore in terms of breaking sides down? And equally on, on top of it, the thing I'm really intrigued by is you say that maybe the, the success will be for the team who introduced their new striker best and, and in a most complete manner. But to me, Liverpool still very much have plan A that is, is, is still there and or draft one, as it were, that can still go at any time. Diogo Jota can fit into that. Roberto Firmino can do that role. Equally, there's then the, the second phase with Darwin Nunez that may end up being cooked by sort of the midpoint of the season during even maybe that second pre-season. Klopp's even already kind of referred to following the Salzburg game. Whereas for City, it seems to be out with the old, in with the new. I'm sure, of course, with the likes of Bernardo Silva and Gundogan, and as you say, the, the team of midfielders they've had, they'll find a way still to play with a false nine should they choose. And Alvarez can maybe do that role um, himself, albeit being a centre forward. But to me, it, it feels as though 
maybe there's more risk attached to the approach City are taking with how cutthroat they're being with it. And equally, it's not always been that players from the German league translate to the Premier League so well, albeit that kind of feeling that the leagues do match up well. There have been a number of players who maybe haven't quite come across and had the impact many thought they would too that spring off the top of my head as as an Arsenal fan is Granit Xhaka and, and equally Timo Werner at Chelsea as well. Obviously, Haaland's done brilliant things in the Champions League. I'm not saying he won't be a success at City, but it does seem that there is a bit of risk being taken at the Etihad. Yeah, I would say so. I I think that myself. I think it's it does feel a little bit dramatic the shift, uh, especially considering City would be going through this. I, I said this on the Analyze Anfield newsletter this week. City will be going through this change for a player who is no way on the pitch. I think that that's one of the insistent things about City. They're, they're making adjustments here for a player who played. I'm not sure how much he played last season, actually. I want to check now, but I think he missed off the top of my head something like 16 Bundesliga games, maybe. Um, so, yeah, he, he made 21 starts last season. So, if that's if that's obviously in the Premier League, that's that's 17 games that he's not appearing in, um, which is almost, almost half, really, almost 50% of games. So, you know, considering that, it's, it's quite an adjustment to make, especially considering your previous plan which incorporated the likes of Jesus and Sterling, is maybe now not as possible considering both of those players have left and you've replaced both of those players with strikers rather than wide forwards. So, as you say there, it's a great point that Liverpool can still revert back to the whole 4-3-3 idea. If they want, they can take the time to integrate Darwin. Maybe Darwin starts to come into his own around Christmas time. Whereas City, maybe there's a bit more pressure to, um, you know, from the off make this shift and work on it gradually as the season progresses almost. And if it kind of goes wrong or City is stuttering for whatever reason, it's maybe a little bit trickier to revert back to what was working before. Um, so it, it is a great point. It's, it's, if you were to ask me right now, you know, favourites for the for the season at the minute, I, I would I would probably say Liverpool were. Um Don't want to get ahead of myself and obviously you can never rule out Pep Guardiola when it comes to a league competition. But, I just think Liverpool look a, a little bit stronger. I mean, I think they've had a better pre-season. I think they've had a better window, um, better depth. So it's it's going to be interesting. Yeah, it is going to be interesting. We'll have next week's episode as a, a predictions episode with, with you and Dave talking through the analytics, the metrics of it, backing up your points. But I have to say, personally, right here and now, I, I see Liverpool as the favourites for the Premier League title. In terms of final point, before we move on from the Community Shield and, and talking there of the strikers, how exciting almost is it then to see Liverpool facing a different test defensively? Because Gabriel Jesus may not have always scored, but always did cause problems for the Liverpool back line. But up against one-on-one, Virgil van Dijk and Erling Haaland, that's going to be a sight to behold, isn't it? It is, but I actually think it might... Not, I wouldn't say it benefits Liverpool. Like, how can it benefit Liverpool if you're going to be facing Aaron Carlin? But I think in terms of the tactical makeup of Liverpool, obviously it tends to involve Trent bombing on as a as a winger pretty much, and Robertson bombing on even further. And if you're playing with wide forwards, say you're playing with Stale on one flank and Jesus on the other, you can get in behind those players using those spaces. Whereas if you're counter-attacking threat 
kind of your main, um, you know, elements of speed is, is coming through the middle now, through Haaland. Haaland's just going to basically be in direct races with with Van Dijk, Gomez, Matip, Canate, whoever it is who plays. And with the exception of Matip, I would have a fair bit of confidence that Liverpool's centre-halves have enough to manage Haaland. I think one of the things Liverpool have really been masters at doing over the past few years is acquiring these centre-backs who are so good 1v1. Just when they're left alone in isolation, go and cope with that winger on your own. They can do it. And a lot of centre-backs can't. A lot of centre-backs can't do that. But Liverpool's centre-backs kind of have the the physical makeup in terms of stature and height and things, as well as the speed to, to cope with these top players in isolation. So I actually think if you're looking at this version of City compared to the, the strikerless version with, with, with pacey wide forwards, maybe Liverpool will find it a little bit easier to manage this, this team. Um, based on their own strengths and weaknesses. But, you know, seeing this version of Haaland three years on from when he last faced Liverpool up against the likes of Van Dijk and Canate who are, who are 1v1 masters and things, again, it's going to be really interesting. So, really looking forward to the game and looking forward to how the season gets on. Do you want to make a prediction for the game? Or is it too, is, is that going <laughs> blind? Because we've seen so little of City and, and Liverpool still kind of getting into their groove. I know, I know you love a prediction, Josh. So I, I wanted to throw it over to you. Um, I'm going to say two-one Liverpool. I think Liverpool are a bit further along in their pre-season development than City. Liverpool are more uh, familiar with games at the minute, and I think Liverpool have more players who are ready at the minute. I think City's. I might be wrong in saying this, but I think City's side will be a little bit weaker. So, all things considered, I would expect the Liverpool win. I think, but. Having said that, Adrian is going to be in goal for Liverpool, I think. Well, <laughs> I mean, he has played a part, hasn't he? But Jurgen Klopp is is due to speak to the media on on Thursday afternoon, which is is prior to us. Uh, sorry, is after us recording. We are recording before that press conference. But he has said through preseason he's hopeful Allison will be back, but we will have to wait and see. But Adrian, when he first came to the club, played a, a starring role in early. Cup competitions, the Europa <laughs> Super Cup, uh, sorry, the UEFA Super Cup. So uh, I say that while long, Josh, long Josh, is, listeners of Josh this is shaking show. his head. <laughs> long term listeners of this show will know that I am I, I am terrified when he's in goal, mate, honestly. Yeah, no, I, I know and fully justified, but he, he has pulled out some, some good, strong saves through preseason. I'm going to back him part of the goalkeepers' union and all of that. <laughs> so uh, I'll say 2 0 Liverpool. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll leave that at that. Final thing before we go, we're going to talk about the fantasy Premier League. So we know a lot of people who listen are interested. Josh is a master at the game. And we were <laughs> we were teasing one another last week and we have set up a league. So anyone this season who wants to get involved in the Analyzing Anfield Fantasy Premier League league, the uh, code for those watching is on screen on YouTube. For those listening, the code is 8S72G1. I will put the code in the description of the podcast as well if you want to join take on josh and i dave will be involved as well you can laugh at me come the end of the season but josh assures me he is going to uh, be uh, flying the flag for analyzing anfield and do his very best and rather than go through our teams or anything like that josh we thought we'd have a bit of fun and talk about players who might be differentials this season ones who might make a difference through the course of the campaign. Early shouts from us for maybe breakout stars of the campaign. Firstly, 
how confident are you following the pressure I've put on you? And, and secondly, you can, you can get into your player as and when you choose. But I have ramped up the pressure on you there. Yeah, that was a bit too much, I think. Uh, I'm, I'm all right, <laughs> but I'm not that strong. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if there was someone joining the group who's, who's a, a real expert and, you know, really puts us all to shame. But no, it'll be good. It'll be good to, to compete against the listeners. And we do mention it every now and then, don't we, on the podcast? So after mentioning it last week, teasing the idea of maybe setting up a league, a few people messaged me. So I thought, go on, we'll, we'll set it up. So between now and the start of the season, we're just trying to acquire acquire players, basically. Uh, Guy is already in, I'm already in. And Dave hasn't yet set up his team, but Dave will be in there as well. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how we all get on. But uh, do, you want, do you want to go first, mate, for this? Uh, I, I I was hoping you went first, but I, I'll, <laughs> I, I will I will go first. A um, few players who have kind of been hearing little things about, who rather than sort of pick a, a Salah or Kane or anyone like that, we're trying to pick players who maybe won't be the most popular picks, but who could do something quite good this season. And I suppose by virtue of that, we're also looking at teams who we think might perform quite well. One player I am interested in to see how he goes this season, Josh, is Morgan Gibbs-White. I mean, he's been linked heavily with kind of the, the Nottingham Forest revolution that's going on there. He's also been linked with, with Crystal Palace, with Everton and Wolves equally saying that they want to, to keep him, to make him an important part of the team. He was a big part of the England under-17 side that won the World Cup a few years back now. And of course, that was with Steve Cooper. So if he does go to Forest, I think he could he could play a big part with them equally at Wolves. I think they've had high hopes for him for a number of years and maybe this will be his breakthrough. But I'm actually probably going to laugh. I'm actually going to go for a former Liverpool man in Nico Williams. I think he's got big ah, shoes to fill. That's yours, is it? Well, we can talk about him then. And as to as to yeah. why why we think he's, he's, he's going to do well, he's got huge shoes to fill. He's only priced at £4 million on the game and going in, in in place of Jed Spence, I mean, a lot of people might think, oh, a right wing back for a right wing back in a promoted side. Is there really much to do there? But you can explain just why he's got such a big job on his hands and actually why at £4 million on the game, he's, he's priced at an absolute steal. Well, you, you can't get cheaper. You know, he's the, he's the cheapest possible outfield player that you can get in the game. And despite that, he's just been signed by Nottingham Forest for a... If it wasn't a club record fee, it was very close to that, which suggests he's going to be a starter. Um, Liverpool played against Forest last season in a one-off game in the FA Cup. I think it was. They were difficult to break down. Their coach is good. I rate their coach. So, in terms of defensive returns, although they're a relegate, um, promoted team, they won't get many, but I think every now and then they could deliver their little clean sheet, which would be nice. But then on top of that, considering they've, they've, they've signed Nico Williams and a few of the other signs that they've made, it does look like this season they're probably going to be playing with a back five. So considering that, Nico Williams is probably going to be a wing-back. Um, and based on his time at Liverpool, Wales, and on loan last season, I think it was at Fulham, he is kind of in the mould of a goal-scoring wing-back, Williams. So I think this season coming, he could be another little John Lundstrom if people remember him, uh, as a player who gets the odd little clean sheet, the odd goal, the odd attack I'm saying, plays every week, and he's he's priced at the cheapest you can possibly be. So he's absolute chewing for me. Yeah, I, I think, as I said, he, he will definitely play as a right wing back in a in a back five for Forest. And, I mean, you look at what Jed Spence did last season 
for them. I mean, he got four assists in the championship, which you might look at and go, isn't all too much, but it was absolutely crucial. I mean, there's there's a reason Tottenham have, have showed out what they have for Jed Spence to get him as a wing-back. The wing-backs are so crucial in Steve Cooper's sides and the way in which he sets up. And I think, as you say, the price they paid for him, he will go in there equally in that defence. Steve Cook, whilst he's, he's not going to kind of really do pull up any trees, forest pun, joke, leave that one at the side. But whilst Cook isn't going to pull up many trees behind him as well, they've got Dean Henderson, Wayne Hennessy's arrived there as well. They do actually, in that defence, have a bit of Premier League know-how. So I think whilst they are new to the division, there is people who do kind of know the course there. And the defenders, the, the wing-backs in the Forest system, whilst, yes, they are there as wing-backs, the onus is on them to attack as much as it is to defend. And I think that really plays into Nico Williams' hands. The, the way in which he performed at Fulham as well, I think will give plenty of encouragement. So I'm glad I've not... I'm I'm glad there, Josh, I've not embarrassed myself by picking someone who you were going to laugh at me and say who you've gone for one of the cheapest players on the game. I, th- I think it's a I think it's a wise pick. He's he's going to be in both of our teams then and maybe he'll be in yours as well. Before we go, the code again for the league is 8S72G1. It will be in the description and do come and join the league and laugh at me if not for nothing else. But from myself, Guy Clark and Josh Williams, thanks for joining us on this week's Analyzing Anfield. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.